1: Infections of the middle ear, tonsils and adenoids can be quite common in children. And for this reason, I thought it may be helpful for us to learn more about grommets, adenoids and tonsils from Dr. Bumback, who is a paediatric otolaryngologist and a head and neck surgeon at Perth Children's Hospital and at St. John of God Hospital in Subiaco. So, we are going to talk about grommets, adenoids, and tonsils today with Dr. Bumback. Thank you so much for joining us today on MediTalk.
0: Thank you very much, Danae. Love you to be here.
1: So, tell me, how many children in Australia approximately suffer from this glue ear?
0: Well, glue ear has been prevalent amongst children over the centuries, essentially.
1: So, what is it
0: exactly? Well, basically, glue ear is fluid that resides behind the eardrum in the middle ear space, particularly in. Uh, children, which is commonly seen in up to eighty percent of uh, school-aged children, really, they experience at least one episode, not necessarily of glue ear, but of a condition called otitis media, which is the generic condition of this issue, yeah. which can lead to issues of poor hearing, mm-hmm. and obviously that can, it is one of the most common reasons why kids present to GPs uh, for a, an assessment. It is also one of the highest uh, prescriptions of antibiotics for this condition that is required by GPs uh, because we know the impact of the condition on children is enormous. Mm. And obviously it, with this condition, it leads to the hearing loss and hence speech delay and then cognitive development issues.
1: Yeah, right.
0: And in, in Australia, though, you know, we've got the condition effects between... Overall, between 650 to about 1.6 million children. Wow. um, Up until school age. Um, And of those who get the condition, then about 30,000 operations are performed in Australia-wide each year, at least. Mm. Then these are just figures that have been touted over the years, and there's no sort of up-to-date sort of uh figures that i can find that tells us today how many figures we do Mm. but obviously every uh ear nose and throat surgeon out there obviously will have to make that decision Mm. and encompass the broader picture as to where the child has come from in terms of their development their presentation, their degree of hearing loss, and obviously then discuss with the families the risks and benefits of doing grommet surgery.
1: Yeah, so will the child initially present with just some hearing loss and that's how then they'll go to the GP? Or how does it, sort of other than hearing loss, how will they
0: know that there's an issue? Most most of the the pre-school aged children um, who present are the ones with speech delay. Uh, and the luxuries of mothers' group out there now, where mothers will compare child for child, uh, and they can see, you know, as to certain children, how many words they have in their vocabulary. Uh, are the childs attentive? Do they respond? Are they saying the appropriate words? Are they saying two to three word sentence structures? Uh, and was there any concerns with their balance as well? And further than that, is there any pressure where the kids are poking and prodding and pulling at the ears as well?
1: And can the children have issues with this as young as how old?
0: Uh, this children can get this condition as early as you know a few weeks of life.
1: Really?
0: Um, and obviously, that depends upon a number of different reasons. So, there's those host factors and then those environmental factors. Mm. So, those host factors are going to look at uh, obviously the age of the child, uh, it's going to look at uh, any underlying immuno uh, deficiencies. So, a child's got a poor immune system. Or is there any aspect uh, of the child, particularly is there any developmental issues? Mm. So we're more commonly seeing those children with craniofacial abnormalities, particularly the cleft uh, palate child, mm. uh, the Down syndrome child, uh, who are going to be at increased risk of developing middle ear disease, which results in the glue ear.
1: Okay. So do all children benefit from having adenoid and their tonsils out?
0: Those children who undergo surgery obviously are being selected on the basis of their presentation, Mm. particularly more so for those children who have issues with uh, snoring, with sleep-stirbed breathing, obstructive sleep apnea or recurrent tonsillitis.
1: So you're seeing an increase of children having snoring and and those sort of sleep related issues?
0: Uh, There's a lot of evidence out there now that uh, shows that up to about 15% of children, so 3 to 15% of children Mm. uh, will have issues with uh, snoring, which can then relate to issues of poor cognitive development, behavioural issues and developmental delay.
1: So it's not just, oh, they're cute, they snore, that's Mm. all very normal. If your child is snoring and it's and it's uh, an issue that you see um, happening more often, it's something they should go and speak that's to their it, GP about. That's
0: exactly right. So, the more common child that you get is the child who's is, is a chronic or heroic snorer, um, who sleeps with the mouth wide open, mm. the head arch back, is a sweaty, restless sleeper, uh, has frequent noctes awaking during the night, uh, nightmares, night terrors. Um, Wets their bed, particularly the older child. Oh, really? Grinds their teeth. Yes. uh, And then in the morning when they wake up feeling tired, grumpy, miserable... There's problems at school where they drift off and they've got poor cognitive development. Uh, So
1: would they be suffering sort of daytime sleepiness? Daytime
0: sleepiness, that's exactly right. But more so seeing after lunch where the child just wants to have a sleep. And I had a child several months ago who was commonly seen in the the back of the classroom after lunch asleep on the desk. And when mum addressed that issue with me, Mm. you could see clearly there was adenotonsillar enlargement, which I indicated this is what's going on and we are recommended having his adenoids and tonsils removed.
1: And would he have been suffering that for some time?
0: Several years, yes. Really? Yeah. But look, it's more co- the fact you see that, unfortunately, that some kids, uh, particularly first-time parents, they don't sort of had a, a luxury of a parent book to guide them no, through. of course um, not. Yeah. So so, but the luxuries are that these parents are going to be involved with those mothers' groups parents who've got their other sisters or brothers who've got children of similar age and they can mm. compare like for like as well.
1: Yeah, that's true. And in terms of, I mean, it would uh, you can see how if a child is suffering daytime sleepiness then the effect it would have on their schooling mm. and being able to ac- actually concentrate and focus at school. And so what's your experience like when you've done, you've probably got thousands of children you've done operations on, do you see a benefit to the kids straight away? Like after they've had their tonsils removed, they suddenly go, they can start sleeping and...
0: Definitely. Uh, and it's 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 rewarding when you see in the post-op period, look, it's rewarding to, to treat any patient, whether yes. it's medically or surgically. But once you've done a procedure and to see the outcome and mm. you see that's the benefit of on the child, and therefore you see the benefit that goes to the families. Yes. Because the parents are now relieved. They get a better night's sleep themselves. They're not so up worrying about the child's poor sleep behaviour. The child's had a massive turnaround, particularly with their performance at school, Mm. Um, and the teachers have commented too that their child or their student now is a whole different person.
1: Because they're getting sleep.
0: They're getting sleep.
1: Wow. So why is it that some children don't have an issue and others might have an issue. Do they know?
0: We don't know why the tonsils and adenoids just present the way they are. Mm. Some of them, there's there's a genetic predisposition, so some families have big tonsils in the families. They can be passed down on a genetic predisposition perspective. Mm. Uh, We do know that there's the effect of the allergens that are out there, particularly that can stimulate the lymphoid tissue, which is what the tonsils and adenoids are, um, and which they can increase the size in relation to the facial skeleton, Mm -hmm. uh, and which can cause issues with obstruction which causes the issues with snoring and hence uh, the sleep apnea.
1: Okay. And, um, I mean, I've known people I've worked with that have had their tonsils out as adults and it's quite a, you know, significant surgery as an adult. Would they have had issues out as a child perhaps and it just got maybe not diagnosed? Well, or?
0: the difference the adult sleep apnea is a different sort of kettle of fish compared yes. to the compared to the, the paediatric presentation. We don't just take the adenoids and tonsils just for snoring. We also take them out for issues of recurrent tonsillitis. Yes. So that's an issue where we see where a child can present uh, multiple times to a GP practice over the course of a year or two years with multiple antibiotic use. Um, and obviously uh, the parents are saying enough's enough. Yeah. And then they present and then consider getting the tonsils and adenoids removed from that perspective.
1: Do you think, though, that some parents might think, oh, that's normal, they're just at school, they catch all these infections, and they pro- might just think that that's quite normal for a child to be on antibiotics maybe once, twice yeah. in a year because mm. they're picking up all these germs at school. Mm. But really... Should we be questioning more and saying, oh, maybe there could be an issue with their tonsils or adenoids?
0: True, um, but obviously with most parents, um, you just got to be respectful of that, how they've been brought up themselves as yes. a child. So there's a lot of things that get passed down from generation to generation. There's a lot of social media out there now as well, so mm. parents can use Facebook and Mother's Group and Snapchats and things like that to get more information. Um, and it's also uh, it's just more the parents uh, obviously would think, what else could it? Be what else could it be, and you know, like with any parent, I suspect would want to just just wait and see. Mm. And but there's other parents out there who would just say, Look, enough's enough, yes, you know, and it's taken its toll either on the mother or the father, uh, yeah. or, the, or, or the, the child or the child for that yeah. point of view. Um, uh, so it's, it is a challenge, mm. um, and I think you know, I'm just respectful that you know, when the parents come in. Mm-hmm. listen to what their uh, their concerns are, and then you can just take it on a case-by-case basis. Yeah.
1: So what are the red flags that parents should be looking out for?
0: So the red flags for, for the snoring component, so is that, is that child who's a chronic snorer, who has sleep-disturbed breathing issues where they get difficulty breathing at night time with the mouth open, the head mm. arched back, the sweaty, restless sleep, wakes up during the night. Uh, as, the old, as they get older, they, they may still wet the bed, mm. which means they can't go to school camp, which the mums find a bit frustrating. Um, and then when they wake up in the morning feeling tired and grumpy and don't want to eat particularly the solid foods, like the meats and chickens, they want to mm. avoid that. Mm. Um, and then they're the sort of fillets you want to address. Mm. And then you see that they've got problems with their cognitive development. Mm. And if they're falling behind at school, they're looking tired. And always want to have a sleep, or the falling asleep easily in the car. Mm. You say the parents, something's not quite right.
1: And in terms of grommets, how do they help a child?
0: So, grommet surgery is a day case procedure where we place down a small uh, grommet, which is the size of about um, probably a bit bigger than a. Well, let say like a pinhead.
1: Yeah, I was looking on the internet. They yeah. look quite small.
0: They do. They're very small. Yeah. You can see in front of me here. Yes. Got this, this small I might thing.
1: take a photo, actually, yeah. and then yeah. I'll put it on yeah. the Instagram page. Yeah,
0: um, yeah but they are tiny. They're very small little, about 1.27 millimetres in uh, size. Yes. And they come uh, in, a, in a in a package uh, for which we do a day cage procedure where we make a on the eardrum, mm. because behind the eardrum is that middle ear space mm. where the fluid sits, and that's where the fluid sits behind that ear. Yes. And by the grommet straddling the eardrum, it, it allows the fluid to drain out of the ear. Mm. The reason why we see it more commonly in children is because of the eustachian tube that connects your ear to the back part of the nose it sits more horizontal than the adult.
2: Okay.
0: So as the child grows, they're going through growth but by the age of seven or eight the face will pull forward and pulls down. Mm. So the eustachian tube goes from a horizontal position to more of a a 45-degree drainage pattern. This is why uh, the adult population don't uh, see too much disease from the middle ear from that point of view.
1: Yeah. So in terms of ear candling Mm -hmm. and some of these other ways that people might feel that they can... Uh, clean out the ear mm-hmm. what's your thoughts on those um, as alternative treatments for cleaning out ears
0: well i'm respectful of the alternative therapies that are out there and yes. i think every parent has the right to do what they feel is appropriate for their child mm. i in particular know that from what i've read there is no scientific proven benefit uh of ear candling. Mm. I uh, I know it's unsafe. Um But i have no experience with it whatsoever there are therapies out there that can help soften earwax when there's an issue because earwax can either be of a soft wax or uh, so a dry wax or a wet wax Mm. and the dry wax you see it's the white flaky that you can see in an ear canal and the wet wax is more of a clumpy yellow brown Mm. type of discharge now if i see a child who's you can see clearly there's wax in the ear the simple thing to do at home is to get a wet flannel and just wipe the ear and That's all you need to do
1: so don't be really careful with the earbuds
0: do not use any earbuds don't use any any um hair pins to go down and do any sort of self-cleaning at home you're going to do more harm than good from that perspective There are other therapies out there like the wax softeners you can get like the olive oil based drops, Um, you can get the Audi Clear. Uh, And they're quite safe? They're safe in terms of, you can buy this across the counter from your pharmacist, Um, but I like to see every patient first before I consider those options there. Uh, I have no financial interest in any of those products I've just mentioned, but they're the most common ones that are on the market. Um, And depends on the age of the child and depends on how much wax is there, um, the uh, majority of ENT surgeons uh, are able to perform a an ear cleaning procedure in their rooms mm. uh, depending on the compliance of the patient so if you've got a three-year-old it might be a little bit hard mm. versus a 13 year old it could be able to, to allow them to say just lie still, and you can clean the ears out appropriately.
2: Mm. Uh,
0: In some rare cases, though, we need to go to theatre because the child gets too scared um, and doesn't tolerate it, uh, and they've got a hearing loss because of the effect of the plugging of the ear canal. More the wax, then we can look at doing a, a day cage procedure from that perspective.
1: Okay, so how does actually removing someone's, a, a child's tonsils and adenoids actually help them sleep?
0: So what happens is that the adenoids and tonsils are. Uh, enlarged mm-hmm. and they encroach on particularly the adenoids in the back part of the nose which block the nose and in the mouth where the tonsils sit uh, they basically during the sleep pattern that evolves mm. uh, is that the tonsils and adenoids basically collapse down in the back part of the throat uh, and then when they collapse down it causes basically the um uh, the oxygen level in the brain to drop, uh, which then causes a reflex symptoms, and the child gasps during their sleep, and mouth opens up. Mm-hmm. So that's the cycle we see with sleep apnea. By removing the obstruction, mm. allows things to become open and be able to be more restful during their sleep.
1: And you can imagine not getting. The oxygen that they need to their brain can't mm. be great.
0: Well, that's exactly right. As so I tell all parents is, is that when, when they were 18, 19 years of age, having a big night out at the nightclub, coming home at 5 o'clock in the morning, you <laughs> feel tired the next day, yes. uh, you have a sleep, and then you probably feel a bit better. But you factor that now to your child mm. who is, you know, three years of age, who does his day in, day out, it takes its toll.
2: Mm.
0: And, uh, and this is where we see the benefit of doing the surgery
1: do they have much use, adenoids and tonsils? Because the fact that you can take them out, why do we have them then? <laughs> they well,
0: sound like a real nuisance. Well, they are. They're one of those nuisance um, <laughs> organs in the body that become irrelevant over time. Yeah. And essentially, they are, they are important, though, in the first six to eight weeks of life.
2: Okay. Because
0: at the, uh, with the tonsils and adenoids, and also at the base of the tongue called the lingual tonsils, they form a ring of tissue called the war dyer's ring. And this is what helps fight infections. And in the first uh, six weeks of life, everyone is an obligate nasal breather. And so the adenoids and the tonsils at the back part of the throat all form a protective barrier to help fight infections. And as we get older, Mm. they either regress or they become infected or they become enlarged, and that's what causes the problems. Okay.
1: So you hope that you're a person that it regresses but other that there's a majority of people that, unfortunately, they might get become enlarged or infected and those are the people that end up seeing you.
0: That's right. Well, mm. you'd
1: hope that they get some help that they need. That's exactly the right. Of. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So um, would generally a patient um, present to their GP and then they would go for a referral, wouldn't they, to someone like yourself? True. Yeah. Mm. And so you would operate on, uh, we were talking before, you can operate on you've got patients you've had from young to they've become teenagers and
0: yep. yeah yeah so you can see the, the the evolution of the child uh particularly when they first present who've mm. got issues whether it's from a a snoring perspective uh or a, a glue ear perspective uh you get that privilege to then follow them up yeah and then you can then see them uh on a yearly basis uh to on an as need basis, and what the parents or family would like us to do.
1: And if they've had the issue addressed as a young person, as a child, do they often have it reoccur as an adult? Or
0: yes. So there, there are. So the, the meta-analysis that are done for the child who has adenotonsillectomy for uh, snoring or sleep disturbed so breathing or obstructive sleep apnea, the success rates are about as high as eighty-five percent. So that means 15% of cases uh, don't always resolve that issue because there's other obstructive uh, issues there. Mm. And they can be varied from a nasal component, a base of tongue component, or an upper airway component, or even a central component, which is inside the brain, which is these very rare instances Mm. from that point of view. But we are seeing that there's a an increased number of operations getting done in these children at a younger age to correct these issues and then I I tell the parents that with time they can still get a cold for instance Mm. with like a pharyngitis or blocked nose because their nose is runny and when you get the nasal obstruction that can cause the resurgence of their snoring that way.
1: And because of early childhood um, being so instrumental to the A child's learning so zero to seven Mm. it's just so important to try and address those these issues while they're learning those big developmental milestones isn't it definitely yeah to end the podcast interview what's some advice that you would give parents about uh, grommets adenoids and tonsils
0: the most important thing that from a grommet perspective is that uh, grommets are effective Uh, they restore hearing
2: are they safe?
0: They are safe, yeah. uh, but it's a surgical procedure. Yeah. Okay, and it's it's, uh, it's still a procedure, though, that does carry its risk. And so we have to weigh up the risk of doing no operation versus a risk of an operation. And so that's the biggest challenge that we've got to tell the parents that this yeah. is what we've got to inform them. Um, but I also like to tell the parents, though, that grommets do not prevent the infection. Mm-hmm. So you, you can place a grommet in place for children who get ear infections, uh, and then three, four months down the track, the mums will ring up and say, oh, there's discharge coming out of my ear. And I say, well, that's because the grommet is working. Mm-hmm. Because beforehand, the, grommet, the fluid would have just built up behind the eardrum and caused the hearing loss. And now they're going into a, a discharging coming out of the ear, and that's when we have to use antibiotic eardrops to address that issue. Mm-hmm. So that's what I always say to the parents grommets are effective. It's a day cage procedure. Uh, there's obviously there's risk involved with doing any procedure. Um, at the same time as that it's effective, but they don't prevent the ear infections. And do they last forever? Or? Grommets can last depends on what style of grommet you can place down there. Um, uh, some grommets can last for a few weeks yeah. for up to three years. Uh, and some are even longer, depending on uh, what style of grommet you want to place Mm. down there at the time.
1: And that's a decision, obviously, you make with every individual child. Every
0: individual child, that's exactly right. Yeah. Mm.
1: And what about advice regarding tonsils and Um,
0: adenoids? To be prepared for a tough two-week recovery. This isn't like going to the hairdresser having a cut and a blow away and coming out feeling so great, walking, you know, with the head held high. Uh, the operation is done through the mouth, where you remove the tonsils and remove the adenoids. Uh, spend the night in hospital and then home the next day. And then when you're at home, there's obviously going to be challenges uh, with the post-op recovery of what the child can eat, mm. in terms of a soft, soothing diet, regular pain medicines, uh, which each of their surgeons will address at the time, mm. um, the the impact is going to have um, on the family because the child can be upset, mm. may develop a post-op fever, uh, may also get some nausea and some vomiting, uh, get a very much a bad breath after the operation because it's all healing in the back part of the mouth, and there's about a 3% chance of a post-tonsillectomy bleed that we can see in these children as well. And so I tell the parents that I give them an advice sheet. Mm. And it's all written out with my mobile number, Mm. and they can contact me any time, day or night. Um, And I I jokingly say to the parents I act like a life coach for them because it's just to reassure them how things are going. I know what to expect, but as a parent you sort of think, yeah, it's it's an operation, and you don't really appreciate it until you're in the mix as such.
1: But the good news is the majority of children will get by the, the two weeks after surgery. That's right. And... They should have some success. You've got 85% success rate in terms of, you know, a child having better sleep, a better quality of life mm-hmm. for A lot of children... The majority of the
0: cases that come in, that's exactly right, though. But obviously, every patient is different, Yes. uh, and no two patients are the same, and that includes twins, or that includes siblings, if you're doing them back-to-back-to-back surgeries from that perspective.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today on MediTalk. I really appreciate your time. A big thank you to Dr Bumback for sharing his knowledge. To learn more about Dr Bumback and St John of God Hospital Subiaco, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of MediTalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank
2: you for listening.